good afternoon from the University of Southern California, and welcome to Annenberg Radio News for Tuesday, February 17, 2015. I'm Elizabeth Nonamaker, in for Maya Williams. Angelinos rallied in downtown L.A. today in support of President Obama's executive action for undocumented immigrants. Yes, we can. That is what people shouted outside of Los Angeles City Hall today. They came to show their support for the president's plan that would protect four to five million undocumented immigrants from deportation. Erica Alvarez, who is undocumented, was at the rally. I'm not giving up my dreams. I'm not giving up my goals. In November, the president promised to extend the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Order, or DACA, which protects immigrants brought into the country as minors. He also initiated the Deferred Action for Parents of Americans Act, which protects undocumented immigrants who have been in the country for at least five years and are parents of U.S. citizens. Applications for DACA expansions were supposed to be open tomorrow, but have now been put on hold after a Texas judge sought to block the programs. U.S. attorneys from three major cities will meet civic leaders this week at a White House summit to discuss ways to stop violent extremism. Prosecutors from Los Angeles, Minneapolis, and Boston will discuss pilot intervention programs in their cities. They are designed to deter radicalization and improve relationships between police and Muslim groups. It's estimated that some 100 American Muslims have been recruited to fight in Iraq and Syria, and some are from Southern California. Members of the Los Angeles Police Department and city leaders joined City Attorney Mike Fuhrer today to announce two lawsuits they say will help keep neighborhoods safe. Mark Salinger has this story. Los Angeles City Attorney Mike Fuhrer filed two nuisance abatement lawsuits in an effort to clean up crime-ridden properties around the city. One of those properties is in South L.A., just blocks away from USC. Fuhrer says the house endangers the safety of the entire neighborhood. That residence has allegedly been known as a free-for-all for the sale of PCP, for presence of weapons, for the presence of known drug members again and again. In a theme that you'll hear us continue to express throughout my tenure here, it's only three blocks away from an elementary school. City Council Member Curran Price represents the 9th District and much of South L.A. He says the city must work to stop crime in neighborhoods. We want to send a real strong message uh, to wrongdoers, wherever they may be, that it's not going to be tolerated anymore. Uh, we are going to come after you strong and hard. The lawsuit seeks an injunction which would tightly restrict who may be on the property. Mark Salinger for Annenberg Radio News. Outside the Department of Transportation this morning, Mayor Eric Garcetti spoke about a new app that can revolutionize public transportation in Los Angeles. We couldn't be more excited to be here today for the launch of LA Mobile, a new app that puts transportation literally in the palm of your hands. The app gives users the option to purchase Dash Bus tickets on their phones instead of forcing them to find exact change. City Council Member Bob Blumenfield also attended the unveiling and raved about the effects the app could have on the future of travel in L.A. The city is yours. It's consumer-driven. It's, it's consumer-oriented. We're trying to be more efficient, more effective. The app is available on the Google Play Store and the App Store right now. 
South Los Angeles civil rights leaders are holding a rally this evening to protest the police shooting of an unarmed teenager. 15-year-old Jamar Nicholson was shot last week as he stood in an alley next to his friend. Police say detectives thought they saw one of the teenagers pointing a gun at another boy. Officers ordered the teen to drop the gun, and when he didn't, they fired. They missed their target and instead hit Nicholson in the back. The weapon turned out to be a toy gun. Nicholson was treated and released the same day. Civil rights activist Neji Ali is organizing today's rally. Children of all races play with toy guns. But it only seems to be black and Latino children who, who, who are always shot. LAPD said last week it will investigate the incident and report its findings to the police chief, inspector general, and police commissioners. The L.A. Times reports that the county foster care system is prescribing powerful psychiatric drugs to too many children. Andrew Tweedy has the story. Data analyzed by the Times show L.A. County failed to report almost one in three cases of children on the drugs while in foster care in 2013. Over a thousand newly discovered cases likely broke state laws that require a judge's approval before a child can be given psychiatric drugs. 51% of foster care children in California on psychiatric drugs are taking the most powerful class of the drugs, antipsychotics. These drugs have strong sedative powers and have been known to cause severe weight gain and increased risk of diabetes. However, many believe it should not have taken the issue this long to become headline news. Child advocates and state lawmakers have argued for years that foster children were being regularly overprescribed even when there isn't a medical need. Foster youth lawyer Leslie Starheimov said she is frustrated the county isn't acting with more urgency about the potential impacts of this issue. She said the medication should be a last resort for troubled children and that many would be better off without it. This is Andrew Tweedy, Annenberg Radio News. Los Angeles is planning ahead to ensure the city is prepared for the next big earthquake. Here is Taylor Villanueva with this story. Mayor Eric Garcetti discussed an earthquake action plan that is meant to protect buildings and restore telecommunications in the business community. Seismologist Dr. Lucy Jones discussed a prototype that should protect buildings from being damaged during natural disasters. Our earthquake resilience has been done by we have an earthquake, something happens, and we litigate what happened. We prepare for the earthquake that just happened. This is instead looking forward and trying to find the problems uh, in the earthquakes we haven't had yet using science to understand where we should be directing our resources. Dr. Jones says that if the city is unprepared for an earthquake, enough buildings will be damaged that people will be unable to get to work. The mayor added that L.A. businesses cannot function without electricity, so we must test all earthquake systems before the big one happens. Garcetti hopes the new preparedness plans will be implemented within the next six months. I'm Taylor Villanueva for Annenberg Radio News. In a nationwide contest to find the best arts district in America, a few of Los Angeles' best are among the nominees. Simon Makowicki has the story. The Arts District lies on the east side of downtown along the Los Angeles River. The most well-known Arts District in Los Angeles got its start in the 1980s when artists took over abandoned warehouses and factories in the area. According to Jonathan Gerald of the Los Angeles Arts District space, recent development is adding a new dimension to the area. 
one of the most amazing things that's happened is the uh, proliferation of new gallery spaces. So in a year we went from three or four galleries to uh, almost 20, I think, that we have now. Another district recognized in the contest is North Hollywood. Taj Elray, a local musician, predicts NoHo will produce a new wave of talent. They're going to be the future. They're going to be the next Spielbergs or the next um, great choreographers or the next artists. We have a lot of great people there and a lot of great art there. The other nominees from Southern California are Museum Row on Miracle Mile, Culver City Arts District, and Bergamot Station in Santa Monica. You can vote for your favorite arts district until Monday, March 2nd. Simon Makowicki, Annenberg Radio News. If you've ever wondered about the origins of curious words and phrases, here's Taylor Haney with today's Root Source. Here's a word you might know about if you're into smoked fish and meatballs. That's the rat Templeton in Charlotte's Web. Smorgasbord is a word from Sweden. It breaks down into three parts. Smor means butter. Gas means goose. Swedes thought the butter curds that float to the top of cream looked like little geese. Eventually, smorgas came to mean buttered bread. And there's board or table. The first smorgasbords were just that, bread and butter on a table, maybe with some herring. The world learned about the buffet at the 1939 New York World's Fair. The New York World's Fair! Where the Swedish pavilion served up a smorgasbord. Maybe FDR tried some whitefish. Swedes don't use the word much anymore, and in English it can mean any type of buffet. So don't worry, you don't have to like stinky fish. You might hear a lot about the professional boxers who win championships, but what about the sparring partners who help them get to the top? M.G. Montemayor has this profile of a sparring partner who works in Los Angeles. My last fight fight in the MGM Grand, I was opening about for the Canelo versus Lara. Luis Bello says he used to be a scrawny kid who got beat up at school. Then he got his first taste at boxing at eight years old. Now 21, he's been a pro for over three years, and his path to boxing seems almost inevitable. It's always been in my family, and growing up I'd see my dad going to the gym and he'd take me when I was small. I was like 11, 11, 12, when I decided like, hey, I'm gonna do this like all the way through. Bello remembers his first sparring match vividly. He took on an older, more experienced fighter. His dad was there too. Do what you have to do. He's like, if you're going to get hit, you're going to get hit. Like, there's nothing you could do about it. Like, this is boxing. You're bound to get hit. So I went there the first time. They they say it's the make it or break it thing. Like, you either like it or you're like, this is not for me. So for me, like, I was like, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be better than that guy. He committed to training and conditioning throughout his early teenage years. He then decided to become a sparring partner for the pros and discovered the boxing community is small, relying on word of mouth and a web of connections. Well, here in Southern California, it's all connected. Everyone knows someone and they start making phone calls like, I need a sparring partner that's a a southpaw, tall, at this weight. Okay, like, oh, I think I, I don't have one, but I think I know who might. 
Eventually, he got his wish. At a young age, he was sparring with professional and world champion boxers, bouts that let him pick up techniques along the way. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz, John John Molina, um, Miguel Vasquez, and there's a lot like throughout my whole boxing career. They would dominate me, they'd land punches on me and everything, but it was, it's a learning process and it's like the hard way to learn. And you're getting like smacked down, they're playing with you, and you don't want to get played with, you want to be taken serious and actually connect some punches. And when he was able to connect some punches and do well, he says it was a good feeling. Because of the sparring experience, Bello says he became a better boxer. You learn from them, and then when you find someone kind of like at your level, what they did to you, you do to them now. But being an amateur in the boxing world means having to earn respect. Yeah, like I go to the gym and then they'll look at me like, uh, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, well, I came here to spar with John John Molina. And they look at me like from head to toe like, oh, you're his sparring partner? I was like, yeah. After I was done sparring with him, oh, everyone started coming like, hey, what's your name? How many fights you have? All this and that. Oh, that's so cool. Like, you, you're going to be good. So I'm getting all these compliments after they've seen my work. The way you got to do is you have to show them what you got. And that brings in people. After several years as an amateur boxer refining his skills, at 18 years old, he finally went pro. So I did a lot of private fights, and to this day, I, one of my private fights, I think it was like probably like one of my best fights, I fought some guy from Tahiti, a six-round fight. He was undefeated, I was undefeated. I ended up winning, but it was a, it was a tough fight, but it's like those fights that, I like, that you enjoy. As a boxer, you, you kind of like live for those fights. Now 21, he looks back on the last few years and is thankful for the learning experience. The best thing about boxing is, I guess, the way um, it molds you. You're more a, more a confident person, like wherever you stand, like you're not really intimidated by anyone and you have more security with yourself. Job security is another matter. Sparring partners don't always get paid. So, Bello says if they have professional boxing dreams like he does, they have to consider every body shot, uppercut, and hook as an investment that could one day be worth its championship belt weight in gold. M.G. Montemayor, Annenberg Radio News. That's it for this Tuesday. For all of us here at Annenberg Radio News, I'm Elizabeth Nonamaker. 